Hello, and welcome to the Built Revolution Residential Podcast, brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group. We live our lives in the built environment. Our homes provide the places for our families to grow, our friends to laugh, and for us to be refreshed and recharged. We hope that you enjoy and you may be inspired by great conversations about innovation, change, challenges, and solutions with thought leaders, inventors, change agents, and other industry friends. Join the conversation to improve our industry. Uh, hello, and welcome to the Built Revolution Residential Podcast. Uh, I'm Clark Ellis, a principal with Continuum Advisory Group, uh, and we're excited to have uh, Margaret Whalen with us for this episode. Uh, Margaret runs a boutique investment banking firm in the New York area. Uh, she's worked with home builders and construction companies for the last 25 years, and her firm raises capital and represents builders for sale. And uh, I've known Margaret for, for a number of, of years and uh, have always known her to be uh, insightful, interesting, and, and a great a great person. So we're very excited to have Margaret uh, on the podcast today. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. What we want to do today is talk a little bit about what's changing uh, in the home building industry right now. Um, you know, there's been you know quite a lot of, of discussion about things happening with you know, offsite construction, labor constraints, uh, the customers' uh, expectations changing, uh, lots lots of things that are forcing uh, builders to change. And very interested, you know, Margaret, in, y- in your perspective, kind of you know maybe generally what's going on, and, and maybe some specifics. Sure. Um, yeah, the opportunity for innovation in our industry is widespread uh, from how that how we interact with the consumers, the type of homes that we build, the opportunity to digitalize the industry. And as has been documented for the last couple of years, in particular by McKinsey in 2017, the industry is way behind our peers. And in fact, in the McKinsey report that a lot of us refer to because it was the first really thoughtful overview of what the opportunity for the industry was versus what we've done so far, they said that they thought U.S. construction was in the bottom of the fourth quartile in terms of digitalization, that we've been underinvesting for about 25 years and that there was the opportunity to significantly improve. And I agree with all of that. And I think as an industry, we agree with that. And there are catalysts now that we're not there before, and then there's the access to capital. What I focus on is bringing capital together with potential partners who are committed to this innovation, and we can talk about that. But in terms of the catalysts, I think the main one is the lack of availability of labor. Uh, second to that is the lack of availability of skilled labor. Mm. And those are trends that are not changing. They've been upon us for 10, 15 years, depending where you are in the country. And there's the need, to, to therefore, to take labor out of the process or to find more creative ways to use labor, whether it's to encourage young people to come into our industry or women to come in and work on job sites. And what I have found working with some of the construction companies that do framing off-site, for example, and Tacker in California and ICG in Jacksonville, what I find is that there are more women working in the factories because it's a more reliable job day-to-day and source of income for them versus going to a different job site different days of the week to work for different builders on a piecemeal rate. And so that in and of itself brings a lot more people into the workforce. The ability to take labor out on a permanent basis is driven by investment. And so the need is to invest into factories that are substantial in terms of the dollars between 15 and $25 million, what I've seen be invested, but also in terms of the output from 35 
100 to 5 plus thousand homes a year that can be produced in a setting where it's very reliable, uh, highly precise in terms of the nature of the product and the kit that's going to be installed. Most of this is done on what we call a turnkey basis, meaning that the company that owns the factory is producing the kit, working with their engineers, working with the home builder as a customer and the architect of the home builder to reverse engineer that house plan, they tend to make every house twice, first in 3D, uh, so they can iron out any potential kinks, uh, rationalize the plans, reduce the waste, which is very important. And then secondly, on the job site where they can install it, usually via crane in a couple of days versus a couple of weeks. And most of the risks in terms of uh, time and cost overruns on U.S. job sites are a function of that early framing process running late and then everybody else gets delayed or it's not being precise enough and then the other subs coming in behind the framers have to recut some of the product that's been there for them to work with. So the level of precision and accuracy that we can deliver through the factory build is very attractive to the home builders. To date, it just has not always been available to them in every market, but there are more dollars coming in on the investment side. And as that's happening, the builders are embracing it and they're definitely uh, working, partnering with those forming alliances and strategic relationships with those providers. You, you bring up a, an interesting uh, and important thing is, uh, in terms of capacity. Yeah, because I, I remember when we were working with builders in the 0405 mm-hmm. uh, time frame, there was a big push uh, at least to to panelize walls. And um, not, not as sophisticated, certainly, as I know what, what Integra, for example, does today. Very, very low, kind of a low-tech you know, for first or second step uh, in in the process that they've actually perfected, but so there's a lot of capacity built up, and then during the downturn, that kind of shattered uh, and, and went away. Um, so I'm kind of curious, where where do you think the the industry is today in terms of being able to supply enough capacity so that uh, you know a significant number of builders can get um, either all or at least a significant percentage of their of their uh, their housing units supplied in that fashion yeah i think we are still in the early innings we um the the uh, the service being provided by these turnkey framers in the big markets around the country has been very well received the big builders are getting bigger if you look at their uh, market share positions in the top 50 msas are much more concentrated than they were in the past the big builders are simplifying the product that they're offering less options, upgrades, and elevations because the consumer is looking for a simpler, more affordable product. And so I think Mm -hmm. all of that results in more repetition. Bigger builders, more houses with the same plans makes it a lot easier to repeat in a factory setting and make it more efficient. And once you have that uh, stabilized top and bottom line growth as a owner of factories, you can attract capital or generate cash and reinvest in making more supply available. So I think that it depends where you are in the country. NVR obviously has done this successfully for decades, as has Toll in the Mid-Atlantic. In Phoenix, we have some large turnkey framers, the same with uh, Central and North Florida, and in California with Antecra and some of their peers. So I think that, I think the industry is going to be less uh, cyclical over the next few years just because rates are so low and there's so little inventory in the system and the reduced cyclicality is magnifying the opportunity to improve the business to make more affordable houses but also to invest that capital and that's why you're seeing what i refer to as permanent capital so for example two years ago when we were representing integra on their first fundraise uh, we met with over 100 investors both 
U.S. and global foreign companies, in particular some of the Japanese companies. We met with mm-hmm. strategics and like home builders and building products companies, but as well we met with private equity firms, and we narrowed it down to a very strategic partnership opportunity for Integra with Louisiana Pacific. And the timing was good because LP was pivoting with a new CEO and CFO. They were pivoting the direction that they wanted to take their business to, to work with their customers and provide solutions versus product. So they were looking to change their company, the way they were going to the market, the service they were providing to the customer. And that was a good fit with what Integra was doing. That was expertise that they could plug into right away because of course Integra had done this before in Europe and so I think that permanent capital from a public company is very important the foreign capital whether it's SoftBank capitalizing Katera or um, some of the Japanese housing companies where you have negative growth in Japan but they're coming over here finding the growth opportunities very attractive so I think that availability of capital because Often the capital availability has been cyclical and has dried up when it was needed the most. And so I think all of that is coming together well now. No, I think uh, that, that definitely definitely makes sense, um, given what we've seen you know, over the years. Um, you know, when, you, when you look at um, you know, companies like Katera and, and Integra, uh, you know, certainly bringing a lot of innovation you know, to the space, you know, what are some other areas maybe beyond beyond the frame mm-hmm. uh, where you see you know, innovation happening, whether it's, the, as you talked about earlier, the di- digitization uh, of the process or, uh, or it could be a diff- different trade categories? What are some other areas where you, know, you see that innovation taking hold? Yeah. So what we've talked about today with the Trinky Framers and, and, and Techers of the World is really just making the framing process but beyond that and that that's a product or a process that goes into a house beyond that what we're seeing on the other end of the scale is a lot of modular housing companies um, like Commodore Corporation in the Midwest that has six factories, $300 million of revenue selling both modular and HUD code homes that are growing quickly, attracting capital because the consumer is interested in, in making a purchase and having the purchase be delivered quickly. And that's not something that we do as an industry. And so anytime there's an opportunity then to uh, to commit to a product and have it sure built completely built in a factory setting versus just a part of it uh, the frame and have that delivered on a timely basis is going to be very attractive and if you look outside of the u.s where modular is only a couple of percent two or three percent of total units it's closer to 15 20 percent in parts of europe and in asia and i think that is a trend that will be disruptive everything else is accretive to the traditional stick builders that you and i are used to working with our clients but i think that the trend to modular will actually be disruptive because they're going to take share. And whether it's right. in parts of the country like California and Florida, where unfortunately they've had a lot of weather-related issues reducing uh, the housing stock, or whether it's because these houses are just much more affordable, they're smaller, more compact, but also attractive to the consumer. I think right. overall that's one of the trends that we're going to see is that they start to grow more quickly than the industry on average. I know, I'm know. i sure you've been at the same conference as I have you know, in, in the last couple of years, and, and affordability you know, has been a huge topic, uh, right, rightly so. But one of the things that keeps coming back to me is that within the, the traditional legacy stick-building world, it doesn't seem like there's really a whole lot of solutions to affordability in that model. That was one of the things I, I took away from from those those conferences, and it seems like the, in order to really you know address affordability at scale, 
you've got to start looking at different ways of delivering the product. Yes. And I don't think we have to go to industry conferences to know that there's an affordability, housing affordability crisis in the country. I mean, you see it every day. I have four children. I always think living in New York, where are they going to live? Because the cost of housing has gone up. And that was one of the things that uh, McKinsey really focused in in their report two years ago, which they said that the average cost is going up, but not the value. Right. We're really, as an industry, offering negative value year by year because we're charging more for a product with less less innovation right. that's less attractive to the consumer. I think that's why the rental market is very strong. In fact, the single-family built-to-rent market right. is emerging quickly as a growth growth area that may be disruptive too. And of course, 10 years ago, the single family rental REITs emerged and established themselves as both an industry and an asset class. Some of those companies are capitalized now at market caps that are higher than some of the bigger companies. If you look at Invitation Homes versus Toll Brothers, right. uh, new company versus old company. So there's absolutely disruption that's happening. But uh, to answer your question, I do think that once the factories are up and running and have good flow, that they will take cost out of the new home total cost. I don't right. think there's a good understanding of that. I hear that a lot when I'm representing sellers of the turnkey framing companies where a home builder customer will say, well, the comparable cost is not attractive. But I think they're looking at the first cost versus the full cost. If you right. have a turnkey framer that's going to take all the risk on the cost of the materials, uh, sourcing those materials, and then the labor and getting that kit built, it's very rare to see it big national sophisticated housing company walk away from a framer, a turnkey framer relationship because they get it. And once they get it, they want that framer in more markets. And so that's what Louisiana Pacific will be able to do with Integra. That's what some of the Japanese companies are doing with the growth that they're pursuing in the factories. We're also seeing it with Clayton Homes, which is another great example of a disruptor in our industry because they're coming from a totally different side of the business on the modular expertise, but also now they own stick builders and they're putting all of that expertise together and opening one of their first factories in the next year. They just announced that recently. So it's all very exciting. Yeah. And I do think overall that the cost is going to come down. Yeah. I think the the other thing that, that I found in, in this kind of, it happens not just with uh, with respect to, uh, to the modularization or to offsite building decisions by builders, but there's a, there's a cost focus versus a productivity focus mm-hmm. um, in terms of the mindset. And Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of a first cost investment, you know, you've got to make. Uh, but then we tend to focus on all the you know, waste reduction, which is important. But, you know, if, if you're if you commit to the uh, offsite program and you can take 10 percent out of your schedule reliably, consistently, and you can then close 10 percent more units in a given time period. Um, you know, those are homes you would never have closed uh, in in the prior system. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, make the numbers easy. Um, you're able to close 110 instead of 100 homes, and your average selling price is 400,000. Your gross margin is 20%. So that's $80,000 of gross mm-hmm. that is essentially going to go straight to the bottom line because you've already covered your fixed costs. Uh, you know, and so that's you know, times 10. It's more closings. 10% more closings, 10% more profit is really dramatic for a home builder that's focused on cash flow. Also, what I noticed with some of the home builders that are very efficient or that are working with the turnkey framers is that their clothings are substantially higher. Once they get good momentum, it's much more than 10%. Right. And the, the, the customer, the consumer notices that too because they see uh, people in the neighborhoods and the communities moving in more quickly. So that is a competitive advantage that builds on itself as the relationship is formed with the uh, 
with the framer. Yeah, no, I, that that makes total sense. I think there's a, there's a mindset shift, and I mean it's it's that shift has had to happen on non-residential construction as well, and modularization in mm-hmm. industrial and commercial construction has been on the rise you know, in the last last ten years, particularly uh, for for similar reasons. And that that productivity, getting the productivity mindset versus sort of a cost mindset into the leadership, you know, these companies is 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 happening, but it's it's it takes a little bit of a little bit of education and just the, the ability to kind of step back and look at the, uh, look at the system a little differently. Yeah. I think what the leadership is part of the problem, right? We have an industry, but I refer to lovingly as PMS pale male stale. And we <laughs> just have to, and you and I go to the same conferences and participate in the same presentations and we a bunch of people and we all look the same. And so how do we bring new people and new ideas in, into our industry and how do we innovate? How do we, um, how do we reward companies for innovating? So far, it seems to me that we're going to be acquiring because a lot of companies that are coming with new ideas or raising capital for the first time, uh, series ABC. And I think what's going to happen, like with LP and Integra, is that you have a much bigger established company outsource the innovation because they have to, because there's no DNA to find it internally, but at least they recognize that. And, uh, you know, it's not a bad way to go for an old-fashioned industry that's very established. You see this in other industries, and at least they're embracing innovation somewhat as opposed to avoiding it altogether. What's the biggest takeaway that you would you would want to uh, provide you know, for, for folks that are listening in terms of, yeah, you know, the things that they ought to be thinking about, or one or two things that uh, you think are, are particularly in, important for leaders to th- be thinking about in the next, you know, year to three years. Yeah, I think that um, it's hard for for me to give one or two specific uh, data points or examples, but I think sure. the, the most important. Uh, opportunity is to listen to the millennials. Instead, as an industry, we're always talking about millennials. Right now, we know millennials don't really want to work in our industry, and they don't love the houses that we're selling. So as customers and employees, they're not that engaged with us. So anytime you have an opportunity, talk to them and listen to them. Uh, Listen to what they're telling you they want versus telling them what you think they want. I think that's the opportunity, and it's different by the type of product, by where you are in the country, but millennials are more than half, or they're buying more than half of the new homes in the country every year right now. So they're very substantial customer base that we need to do a much better job of uh, of allowing into the decision making. No, I, I agree. I think that that makes that makes perfect sense. And you know, we see it, you know, with our with our clients, and mm-hmm. and uh, we've been doing a lot of work around customer experience in the last year and a half. And a lot of that's driven by the influx of millennials and the way that millennials want to communicate and be communicated with, um, you know, their expectations. Uh, and, and to your point, the product is not necessarily what they're ideally looking for. So there's a there's a lag, you know, right now out there in terms of being able to to anticipate versus try to respond to the to that buyer and to those folks. And you know, we, we also we also see it in, in the staffing. Yeah, as, as you noted. Yeah, I, I think the millennials are very sensitive to their carbon footprint, and they show up on job sites and they yeah. see a big dumpster outside of every new house being built in the country, and they ask about who's actually paying for the materials in the dumpster, and it's the consumer. And up to thirty percent of uh, the materials that are purchased to build a new house end up in the dumpster. That's a, a significant amount of dollar. Right 
cost, going back to the opportunity to improve the affordability equation, but also of waste impacting the environment. And when you have a, a turnkey framer that's building to a precise a plan and installing that with a mallet versus a saw, it's a very different equation. You don't need a dumpster. In fact, in Europe, you're not allowed to have dumpsters on job sites. So you get fined. So I think the opportunity is to go overseas, to listen to people, to make incremental change versus no change. I, I agree. That makes sense. And, you know, we, I've, I've actually been uh, a colleague of mine who used to work for a, a, a big national and they worked for a regional builder, now started a company doing uh, light gauge steel framing for uh, houses, you know, not not just commercial and and uh, in apartment, you know projects. Um, and you know one of the things that that they're bringing to the table is yeah. not zero, but darn close to zero waste uh, because the, everything is, is cut precisely. And he's also um, you know he, he's an interesting guy. He's not just supplying; he's actually realized he's got to supply the labor too. Yes. Well, everyone is realizing that because we don't motivate the framers in our industry to embrace these new opportunities. In fact, it's the opposite. We pay them to waste materials because we pay them by the foot. And so you have to bring a full turnkey install solution to make this work. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, interesting thing. He's not calling his, I can't remember what he's calling his installers, but it's not, they're not framers. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're, maybe, maybe it's installers and, yeah, he's actually recruiting and, and being able to hire and find people that are interested in the opportunity uh, yeah. are not interested in being framers. It, it goes back to the mindset and what you're offering a potential employee and a consumer. But from the employee's perspective, the opportunity to work in an industry that's seen as so far behind in terms of digitalization is not going to be that attractive because the young people today don't typically write with a pen on a piece of paper, they do everything electronically. Whereas in our industry, even though there's so many sets of eyes and experts looking at house plans, when you go to a job site and walk through a house, which I do very frequently, the the paper plans are blowing around in the wind. I mean, it makes no sense at all. So that opportunity to digitalize the plans and therefore attract employees who are used to working in that 3D type format versus pen and paper is going to be is going to be important as well to bring new employees into the workforce. There's a, a great great conversation, Margaret. I, I could talk to you all day um, <laughs> about, about these issues. I really really appreciate you taking the time uh, to share some of your insights uh, on, on the Built Revolution Residential Podcast. Uh, is there anything anything else you wanted to uh, to touch on before we uh, sign off? No, but I look forward to seeing you. I'm getting ready for the full conference circuit, and I look forward to seeing you out there. Outstanding. Yeah, do the same. In fact, I'll, I think I'll see you in Raleigh in a couple of weeks. Uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Sounds great, yeah, Mark. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening to the uh, Built Revolution, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. This has been the Built Revolution Residential Podcast, brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group. Thank you for listening and please stop by again as we bring great conversations about the home building and residential real estate development and construction industries to you.